I want to teach you a Hebrew word. Chapter 3, Habakkuk. Verse number 1. You might recognize the word when you see it. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigionoth. Anybody remember that word from before? Shigionoth. It's an interesting word, that word Shigionoth. It's a musical term. And it's descriptive of how the tempo of the song is supposed to sound like. Because the rest of chapter 3 is a song that Habakkuk sings. Just like Moses heard a word from the Lord back in Deuteronomy, and in order to put that the truth, he put it in the form of a song. A lot of the prophets were poets, and they could create music, and they conveyed their truth with music. Because how many know that a song would really stick with you? And you can wake up in the night singing songs probably that you can better quote scripture. And when the truth is put into a song, it really sticks with you. And Habakkuk came to a song of the Lord that he gives. And he puts it in song for all those people to remember. So you could wake up with this song. But when you play the song, you have to play it shiggy enough. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It's get up and dance music. It is wild, vigorous, lively, toe-tapping, exuberant, over-the-top emotional release with excessive, superabundant joy that people looking at you as you shigian off would say, what on earth has possessed that person? I tell you what has possessed that person. Faith. And joy. Faith. And joy. So, can you remember this word? Please, it's Shigionoth. Can you say that with me? Shigionoth. It's only found twice in your Bible. It's found here, and if my memory right, at the beginning is Psalm 7. Psalm 7, you have to play with Shigionoth Temple as well. It's only twice. Well, over the top. How many say, oh, that's OTT? As if that's bad. You know, he's OTT. Well, you know what? King David got into a mood of shigging off once. The nation was too long without the Ark of the Covenant. The nation was too long without the presence of the Lord. And when he became the king, he said, we've got to get the presence back. Got to get that Ark of the Covenant out of retirement. We need the presence back. And boy, when he celebrated the presence coming back. There were people who said, that's OTT. That's over 
the top. And they criticized him. His own wife, Michal, criticized him for being over the top. Oh, we don't behave like that. That's improper. Especially for a king to behave like that. And David, I'm not sure in what spirit he said it. You think, this is something. Ain't seen nothing yet. Having the presence of God, church, is something to celebrate. Amen. Amen. It is something not to be ashamed of, but it's something to celebrate. Because when God shows up in power, all things are possible. And you and I have got to learn to make the choice to rejoice. Come on. We have to make the choice to rejoice. How many times in the book of the Psalms you see the psalmist talking to himself? It's almost like he looks and says, Come on, soul, would you get with it? Lift your hands, lift your feet, lift your soul, lift your voice. Our God reigns. And there was a choice to look upon the greatness of God instead of of the smallness of the problem. It's a choice to rejoice. It's called Shigianoth. I like the word. I trust you will remember this for life, that word. Shigianoth. Because every once in a while I just might get into it. And it's okay. It's okay. I don't care. How people would criticize it. I'm glad he's in control. I'm glad. I'm glad he's that big God that we saw in Isaiah this morning. I'm glad he's supreme above everything. I'm glad that they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. So Habakkuk, he's, he's I can just imagine... I don't know if rock and roll sounds to this song or not, but it was high energy. I'm sure there was lots of percussion and lots of dancing going along with this because that's what Shigianoth means. It means really get the rhythm going and get your feet tapping and get your soul rejoicing. You know, country music, I don't really care for it. I don't kind of really listen to it. But, you know, if you ever listen to the radio you know, in country music, people have problems. And for some reason, they think it's therapeutic for to listen to other people sing about their problems. <laughs> you know, and, and you, you listen to some of this music and it's kind of crying your beer type of music. And somehow you get comfort out of somebody else singing about their problems. Let me tell you, would you please change the station? We got something to rejoice about. We got something that does, there's no whining involved in this. It's joy, it's joy, it's joy, because the presence of the Lord is here. It's marvelous that God has decided He wants to inhabit the praises of His people. It's marvelous that God decides He wants to actually live inside of us. Can you believe it? Live inside of me? Live inside of you? That's marvelous. That he wants to share his character. We've got something to rejoice about. It's called Shegianoth. Habakkuk ends with this triumphant attitude. I mean, you can find this triumphant attitude 
in the New Testament. I'm sure you read 1 Peter 1, about verses 5 to 9 there. It says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though at the moment, for a season, you're laid way down with heavy trials. But you know that the trial of your faith produces the salvation of your soul. You do know the end of the story is glory. Therefore you greatly rejoice. Oh, can you hear Paul the Apostle in Second Corinthians 12? I mean, what's got into this guy? Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in necessities and in reproaches. If God be for us, who can be against us? What is going to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? Sword, famine, peril, any of that? Can that separate us? You know, God has this knack. I don't know how He does it. But He has this knack of taking everything the enemy intends to destroy you with and actually make it work in your favor and you get promoted by the whole thing and it's the enemy who dies on his own gallows that he has constructed to hang you on. I don't know how God does it. But you know what? It's worth rejoicing about. It's worth shouting about. Because no matter what your present is, no matter what you're going through at the moment, I don't know if I ever told you, but the end of the story is worth shouting about. It's sure and it's guaranteed. You just sang it. My God will come through. Always. It's called Shigianoth. Now, Habakkuk ends this way, but the book doesn't start that way. He ends with a mighty dance. But the book begins with a mournful dirge. Terrible how the book begins. Go to chapter 1 of Habakkuk and just see how the book begins. And he's got a real crisis of faith going on. Because in the first four verses of chapter 1, he's complaining to the Lord. God, why aren't you answering prayer? Nobody's ever been tempted to say that to the Lord. Eh? We know better than to think that kind of stuff. Lord... Why aren't you answering prayer? Because obviously he's been praying for his nation. He's praying, he, he's praying for revival is what he's praying for. He's praying for righteousness to be established in the land. He's praying for wickedness to be overcome. He's praying that the kingdom of God would be set up in the midst of his people. But in spite of all of his praying, all he sees is wickedness and evil winning on every side. And no matter how much he pours his heart out to God, it appears that God's not listening. And he complains. Verse 2, look at his complaint. O oh Lord, how long... Shall I cry, and you're not listening to me? How long? You see, he's asking questions like this. Why does God allow certain things to happen? 
God, why aren't you answering prayer? God, why is evil winning? Why is it prevailing and you're not intervening? Couldn't a God of power and can't a God of love stop tragedies from happening? God, where are the miracles? Why is revival lacking? And he begins crying out in a crisis of faith where he's earnestly crying out to God. But there's nothing coming forth. There's no answer. The sick are not being healed. The evil man is winning. Righteousness is being thrown out the window. And he's really got a problem because God, where are you? Now, as I said this morning, God does hear our prayer. But he answers on a different level than what we're praying. We pray according to the limited vision and limited understanding that we have. But God hears our prayer. He really does. And he's going to answer. Not on the plane of our limited understanding. But he's going to answer according to a much larger vision than you've got. There's a principle here. But Habakkuk isn't aware of that. All he can see is, I'm pouring my heart out and God doesn't seem interested. And where are you? And it's really a mournful complaint that he's pouring out to God. But in verse number 5, Habakkuk does get an answer. Chapter 1, verse number 5. But it's not the answer he was looking for. Verse number 5 of chapter 1. Habakkuk, I want you to look out amongst the heathen. I want you to regard. I want you to take note. And I want you to wonder marvelously. For I will work a work. You're asking me to do a work. I will work a work in your days. Which you could not believe it. Even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. And then in verse number 6, he hears the most unbelievable thing furthest from his mind that he wants to hear. In answer to your prayers, Habakkuk, verse number 6, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, otherwise known in history as the Babylonians, same group of people. The Chaldeans, Babylonians, two names for the same group of people. I'm raising up these Chaldeans, that bitter, that hasty nation. And they are going to march through the land. And they're going to possess the place that are not theirs. They're terrible. They're dreadful. And it's almost like the Lord saying, tell you what, in answer to your prayer, I'm raising up Al-Qaeda to come and invade your land. It's like the Lord saying, in answer to your prayers, I'm raising up Adolf Hitler. I'm raising up the Nazis Nazis to come into your land, and they're going to devastate your land. Now, how many know that's not an answer you want to hear? Is that an answer we want to hear? Oh, but we do have to remember it is God who sets up nations, and it is God who disposes of them. Now, If Habakkuk had a problem with God before, about God not answering prayer, when he gets this kind of an answer from the Lord, how many know 
he really has a crisis of faith now. God, you can't possibly. No, you no. I mean, the description of the Babylonians from verse 5 down to verse 11 uh, is horrible. And at the end of chapter 1, it's horrible. And the description of for the most part of chapter 2, it's absolutely horrible. But he hears, and, and the description of the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, and what they're going to do. And he's trying to make sense. God, am I really hearing you? I'm praying for your, the manifestation of your power, and you're going to send this upon your people? He really is struggling with this thing. In verse number 12, he tries to make some sense of what he has just heard. In verse number 12, he's trying. And the, what he's understanding, okay, God, are you not from everlasting? Are you not above history? Are you not the one who raises up kingdoms and puts them down? When it says, O oh Lord my God, if you could read that in the Hebrew, it's the same as what God shared with Moses, I am that I am. The sovereign God who controls history has made this statement. My Holy One, we will not die. Thank God He has that kind of confidence. As terrible what's going to happen, we will not die. And then He says, Okay God, I guess what's after you're after here is that you've ordained them for judgment. You've chosen them to be the tool of judgment upon your people because they have forsaken the covenant and because they have given themselves to sin. And I guess you're raising up the Babylonians and this is a chastisement. You've established them, mighty God, for a correction. But God, you are holy, and God, you are truthful, and God, you are everlasting, and God, you are in covenant with us. So we're not going to die, but it will be rough. He's trying to make some sense. He's trying to get some comfort out of this. He's trying to understand. But then, I don't know if you ever talk like, to God like this. You know, were you surprised a little bit in our study of Isaiah, how Isaiah would talk to the Lord at times? Well, Habakkuk, when he hears this, it's almost as if he intends on giving God a bit of a piece of his mind about this. And in verses 13 down through 17 of this chapter, he is going to really take God to task for what he has just heard from the Lord. He says, okay God, I get it. I get this. I get that your people have broken covenant. I get that we have sinned. And I get that according to the laws of Moses, if your people forsake you, then it is told in the laws of Moses about famine coming in and being given over to the power of, of the Gentile, the pagan nations. Okay, God, I get that as part of the curse of the law. I get that. But God, I know your people are bad. I know we have sinned. That's why I've been praying for revival. That's why I've been calling out for you to shake up this nation. I, I know that, God. But God, I know we're bad, but have you ever seen the Babylonians? You think we're bad. You can't behold evil. 
You've got more, your eyes are so pure that you don't look upon evil. You can't look upon iniquity. So please tell me, God, if you can't look upon iniquity, how on earth, in heaven's name, I'm sure you even said that, how on earth, in heaven's name, could you possibly use the Babylonians who are worse than us, who don't even acknowledge you, who are pagan through and through, who are terrible, who are dreadful, how can you possibly use them as your tool? It's not right. I know we're bad, but God, you can't use them because they're far worse than we. And besides, would the chastisement do any good? Interesting prayer life some of these prophets had, isn't it? They would pour out their heart to God like that. And I would say, I encourage people. You might as well tell God how you feel because He knows it anyway. He knows it anyway. He'd rather you were hot or cold rather than in between and not really tell Him. You know, and He pours Himself out like this and He challenges God. And after He has challenged God for His answer, because He's certainly not liking the answer, In chapter 2 and verse 1, he says this. Okay, I've said my piece. I'm sure I'm going to get an answer from the Lord on this one. I'm sure he's not going to let such a challenge go without being responded to. Now, I don't know how he waited, but in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, Now I'm going to stand upon my watch. And I'm going to set myself upon a tower. And I am just going to wait and see what God has to say to me after what I just said to him. And then he is expecting to be rebuked for his, the tone of voice in which he's addressed the Lord. He's expecting me to be reproved. And so while he is waiting for God to speak back to him without even knowing what God's going to say, he's getting ready to give a speech back to God. Okay, after he rebukes me, uh, this is what I plan on saying back to God. He's already got that all going through his mind. You know? And he's waiting for a response after he has challenged God because his faith has really been shaken to the core with this whole thing. But the wonderful mercy of God, the graciousness of God, in verses 2 to 4 of chapter 2, instead of a rebuke for the tone of voice in which Habakkuk approached God, what Habakkuk gets is a revelation of the vision of God. Habakkuk is permitted to see the big picture which in chapter 1, he couldn't see. And because he couldn't see the big picture, he was praying according to his perspective, and he was getting angry at some of the stuff. But in chapter 2, he gets to see the big picture. And God says, let me show you things from my perspective. How many know your perspective can really change attitude? Where your perspective is. I'm going to tell the story on my friend Jim Dick. And he won't mind me telling the story. And he won't mind that it's being recorded either. 
because he's told the story on himself many times and it's actually printed in the book that he wrote. So he talks about a time when he was in Africa and it's all about perspective. He talks about a time he was in Africa and he was staying at some safari lodge somewhere in Africa and then there was this pool at the safari lodge so he gets up in the morning he says, I'm just going to go for a good swim in the pool. And he closes his eyes, dives in the pool, and he's swimming underwater, and then he opens his eyes, and underneath him is a crocodile. <laughs> underneath him is a crocodile. And you look at this, and he says, I beat all the world records. <laughs> I swam. I got out of there. I, I mean, I set world <laughs> records getting out of there. Underneath me was this crocodile. And then he gets off with the pool and he looks down. There's a crocodile, all right? It's a ceramic crocodile. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> it wasn't real. <laughs> But he said, it changed my perspective. It changed my understanding of the situation there. You know, and how many know that your perspective determines your attitude? And what you see and what you understand determines how we behave here. Habakkuk is going to get God's view. He's been praying according to his limited view in chapter 1. But in chapter 2, he's going to get the bigger story, the larger view. It's going to turn him from a dirge into a dance. It's going to take him from complaining to being shaggy and off. We've got to see God's perspective. Amen. Got to see God's perspective. Now, verse 2, it says, And the Lord answered me. I'm sure he was surprised with the answer that he got. He was expecting a rebuke, but instead he gets a vision. He says, write the vision. What you're about to see, I want you to write it down. And make it plain upon tablets. And then I want everyone to run through the whole country with this message. Now, we have to appreciate that you're writing it on tablets. This is a direct allusion, reference, to God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses on tablets. What Habakkuk is about to receive is of equal significance to what Moses received on Mount Sinai. You see, other prophets did some writing. Other prophets, they wrote on a scroll. Other prophets wrote um, in, in a book. But no, Habakkuk, what he's going to see, has to be written on tablets. It's the same action that Moses had to take. This is how powerful this revelation is going to be. It's, it's just as powerful. Because God is saying, I'm in covenant with you. And just like the Ten Commandments were written on tables of stone, we're going to learn in Habakkuk that the only way you can keep the Ten Commandments is by faith. 
And it's going to be the story of faith that's going to be written on the tablets. That's the whole point of this. And faith is how the Ten Commandments will be expressed. And there's a whole powerful sermon just wrapped up on that. And the New Testament picks this all up because it's this very passage, chapter 2 and verse 4, that comes through in the New Testament, the just live by faith. Not by the law, but they live by, by faith. But so this message is so important. It, it's it's got to be proclaimed so that people are going to be able to endure the difficult time that is going to come ahead. And in, in, there's a difficult time coming ahead, but God does have a plan, and God does have a vision. He's not working according to my timetable. He's working according to his timetable. He's not working according to my perspective. He's working according to his perspective. And he's going to tell us. And then it says in verse 3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Listen carefully. Because all through the ages, God's people have always struggled with this. You know what? You and I want a sudden solution to our problems. Is that not true? We want a sudden solution to our problems. We would rather the problem go away than learn to have the grace to deal with it. Is that not true? We would rather not deal with it, the problem go away. We're not interested in developing the character to handle it. So God's people are always interested in a sudden solution to their difficulties. goes way back to Abraham who struggled with not having a child. God said, I'm going to give you a son year after 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 year. And there's no son. And his experience of not being able to produce a child forced him by faith to look beyond the current experience of this day to the distant future. You remember what the angel said to Abraham in Genesis 18, I believe it is, I'll come back at the appointed time. Remember that? I'll come back at the appointed time. God's got a vision and there is for an appointed time. Now Habakkuk is struggling with all of this because what's going on in his mind is, God, you've made promises to your people, and then I hear this announcement that you're sending the Babylonians on them. How can I reconcile this? There's tension in himself. The answer has to be inscribed on tablets because the answer is going to be the foundation of the New Testament, the just live by faith. As I shared this morning, God does hear your prayer, and God does answer your prayer, but not according to our perspective. He's answering the prayer from his perspective. Therefore, there's far more going on than we know. There's far more going on that we can see, than we can understand. There's far more going on. And God is honoring your prayer. God is hearing your prayer. But he's answering according to his perspective, not our limited perspective. God does exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And so when he is preparing us to receive the answer, we are being prepared for something that maybe hasn't even entered our imagination yet. 
Because God does exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Now here's the hard part that Habakkuk deals with this. In order to prepare me, in order to prepare you for your future that he has in mind for you, that may be a bit of a mystery to us, he always has to do heart surgery on us. I thought you'd be excited. Always has to do heart surgery on us. Always there's a time of seeking Him. Always there's a time of humbling yourself before Him. Always there's a time of this sometimes feels uncomfortable probing of the depths of our heart as God is searching our hearts. Why is He doing it? Why? Because He's got a future for you that's bigger than what you can imagine. And so he's always got to do heart surgery. A lot of times it's not a pleasant experience. And what the nation's about to go through with Babylon coming down on them is not going to be a pleasant experience. Not always a pleasant experience, but quite necessary. The fact is that God is far more interested in our character than he is our comfort. Amen? Far more interested in our character. So it says the vision is for an appointed time. The fulfillment of it is still in the future. But it's certain. Habakkuk has been praying for revival. It's going to happen. It's in the future for a certain time. Abraham had to learn to believe that long after his wife Sarah had quit bearing children, past the bearing child age, and he had to learn that nothing is too hard for God. And he had to hear, as Genesis 18.14, that the birth would come at the appointed time. Revival will come at the appointed time. We have been crying out, for 30 days, 33 days now in our 40 days. We've got one more week of prayer to go. And we've been crying out and crying out and crying out for souls to be saved. Crying out for gifts of the Spirit. Crying out for, the, for miracles and the gifts of healing to be manifest. Crying out for power of God to be released. Crying out for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be in our midst. Crying out for the presence of God. No matter what we see, the vision has an appointed time. Its future is certain. God is hearing our prayer. Come on. God is hearing our prayer. I'll say it again. God is listening. God is hearing our prayer. But He's going to answer it on a level beyond our understanding and therefore he's going to take time to prepare our hearts for the whole thing doing heart surgery on us not always pleasant but necessary absolutely necessary God has a timetable and he knows what he's doing we will not be denied Amen. Now it goes on to say in verse 3, the vision is yet for an appointed time. At the end, oh, I don't know if I ever told you, but the end. 
of the story is glory. It says, at the end it will speak. It will not lie. God cannot give you a burden for something and not bring it to pass. Amen. It's not a lie. God's not teasing us when He puts these desires in our hearts. He's not just, I sure fooled you. No, He's not like that. If He puts a burden in our heart and we're praying with passion for God to have His will done, for the kingdom of heaven to be manifest, for God to demonstrate Himself in the power of the Holy Ghost, for God to revive and save souls and heal bodies, and for a breakthrough in the Spirit upon this town, if God has put the burden in there, it's because He intends to do it. Amen. But between now and then, we go through a process. Our hearts have to be prepared. He has to do heart surgery on us. But at the end, it will speak. It says, though it tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not tarry. Didn't we sing that? My God will not delay. At the right time, it happens. At the right time, it happens. The vision is a yearning for the end. When it says, you know, at the end it will speak, it means the vision itself is yearning fulfillment. Every true prophecy from the Lord carries an impulse in it that yearns to see that prophecy fulfilled. No matter how it appears to us, the fact is this, that the word of the Lord, the vision that God has given, is stretching itself, reaching out for fulfillment. It doesn't lie. It yearns to be fulfilled. So, you and I got to wait for it. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The future is sure. We're not praying amiss. Maybe we pray from our own perspective, but we're not praying amiss. God answers according to His perspective. The vision shall be accomplished. He doesn't give a burden. If He doesn't intend to do these things, we have to wait for God's timing. We have to wait for it. So, wait for it. Well, how do you do that? Verse number 4. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. Let me paraphrase that to you. The proud will never inherit the promise of God. That's the proud Israelite, and it's also a reference to the proud Babylonian. The proud will not inherit, but the just shall live by his faith. What does it mean to live by faith? It means this that in spite of the Babylonians coming, in spite of the heart surgery part of the process, in spite of the circumstances that we see with our natural eyes, we now know that we know that we know. We don't doubt it, it's unshakable in our spirit. God has communicated to our soul that He intends on doing this. Come on. He intends on doing this. 
And no matter how far off it is, no matter what the process is between now and then that you and I have to go through, it doesn't change what the end is. It will not tarry. It's not a lie. And the just live by faith. Which means that we make the decision to behave as if God's promise is true. So the Babylonians are coming. Hallelujah, God's bigger than the Babylonians. So the Babylonians are coming. Hallelujah, God is bigger than the Babylonians. They are just a tool in His hands. And when He's finished with them, they're wiped off the face of the earth. It's the truth. God was finished with them. And He says to the one called Cyrus, Do away with the Babylonians, would you? That's our God. You see, the rest of chapter 2, verses 5 down to 20, talks about the destruction of the Babylonians. Talks what their sins are. And God says, when I'm finished with them, they're gone. They think they're such a great people. (laughs) If they only knew it was me. If only it was me who gave them that ability to rise up. It's me. And when I've finished my purpose with them, goodbye. Just blow upon them, they're gone. That's our God. God is in control. And He's going to make everything in your life work for good. You can get excited if you want. He's going to make everything work for good. Because He's viewing it from His perspective. We have such a limited perspective. And we go, well, how is that possible? And why this? And we have all these questions. But the vision doesn't lie. There is an appointed time. And God makes good on His promise. So we wait by faith. We demonstrate our trust in the Lord. It's loving trust in God. It's confidence that the vision will come to pass. It's confident that God will perform His will. And it's making a choice to place our confidence in His Word rather than what we're seeing. With the result, it puts a bit of shigianoth in your soul. It puts this exuberance in you that no matter what happens, God makes it work for good. No matter what you see, God is greater than it. And I might not understand how He makes all things work together for good. And I might have questions, well, why God this? And why did God allow that? And why this? And I might not even get the answers. But it makes no difference. I know that I know that I know that God is God. He's sovereign over history. He's working according to His perspective. And He's going to fulfill His promise. He's going to fulfill His vision. He is going to give revival because He didn't put a burden in our hearts to pray for just to tease us. It will be as God said. And faith is not going to look at the temporary Babylonians, not going to look at the temporal difficulties. We're going to look at the ultimate end of things. And if you get that in your soul, then you just might feel something called Shigianoth bubble up inside your heart and inside your soul. 
I mean, I can hear Paul the Apostle in Romans 8. What can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? Sword, famine, pestilence. I mean, I look at that Paul the Apostle. My goodness, he's preaching in the city in Acts chapter 14, he and Barnabas. And they think they're Mars and Jupiter coming down from the sky. And they start raving and they start offering sacrifices and they, they can't sing enough praise about Barnabas and Saul. And then they start offering. And Paul says, no, don't. We're just humans like you. Don't be offering that. And those who praise you one day stone you the next. And his enemies came in and they turned the whole place against Paul and they dragged out of the city as dead. They stoned him. His bones are broken. He's bloodied. He's a mess physically. And they drag out a lifeless corpse out of the city. And certain disciples are standing around this lifeless corpse. Oh, I use my imagination here. This lifeless corpse opened his eyes and says, What are you looking at? And he gets up and he goes right back into the city that just stoned him. Oh, you should have been there to see that. You should have seen the shock on the people. What can separate me from the love of God? It just always works in my favor. God causes me to triumph in Christ at every time. No matter what the enemy is doing. He had some shigian off in him. He could rejoice in all the difficulties and the trials that ever came to him. Because he knew that God is working according to a far bigger perspective than even he could see. And he learned to rejoice. And he got some shigian off in his soul. It's amazing that Paul. So, if you and I have prayed through, got our answer from God, or maybe the message tonight is an answer from God, because I really struggle with what to share here. Maybe this is an answer from God as we struggle. We've been praying, we've been praying, we've been, some of us have been struggling, and some of us got weary with it, and it's hard work to repent. Did you know that? It's hard work to keep going before God day after day after day after day. And you say, what can I say to you, God, that I didn't say to you yesterday? You know, it's just, sometimes it's hard work just to keep going. But the resolution comes when he saw through faith. God is bigger than history. God's working according to the bigger picture that Habakkuk couldn't understand. God is faithful to his promise. And God is working according to the vision that he has. And the fact there is nothing that can stand before God. And there's nothing that can stand before his purpose. If he wants revival, if he's put that burden in our hearts to pray for revival, if he wants the revival, then watch out devil, revival is coming. Hallelujah. And no matter how difficult it is, and how much heart surgery that's got to go here, and how much i got to repent, and how much it hurts sometimes to repent, it makes no difference. The end of the story is glory, and the vision shall be accomplished at the appointed time. Hallelujah. And while I'm waiting, I'm going to make the choice to shiggy it off. Come on. <laughs> Oh, I like that. Come on. 
Habakkuk makes the powerful decision to express this confidence through wild, exuberant, over-the-top praise and worship. And I don't think he could care less what anybody thinks about him because he had a revelation of the majesty of God whom causes his will to come to pass. So he disciplines his soul to say, quit crying in my beer. Quit crying in those mournful songs. Stop listening to other people singing about their problems. Change the channel and start extolling the majesty of God. Start extolling the majesty of God. Come on, soul. Even we got to go through hard times, and even though the discipline can be difficult, and even though it hurts for God to examine the heart, it's okay. God's will is being performed in the end. So he rouses his soul to Shigianoth. So he composes a song. It's called Chapter 3. Oh, what a song this is. What a song this is. I'm not going to go through the song. I'll let you go through it. But in this song, what he does is he makes reference to the fact that God is the governor of the whole world. In verse number 3, when it says God came from Teman, that he uses the word Eloah, which basically means the one who controls the whole universe. That's our God. He comes from Teman. He came. I like that. God came. And all through this song, he's going to take little snippets out of the history of Israel and talk about every time God showed up. And God came. And God came. And God came. And God came. And the majesty of the power. And if you just read this, it's just, it's phenomenal. God came from Teman. God the Holy One came from Mount Paran. That's the whole wilderness of sin. I mean, God showed up in power. He showed up there on Mount Sinai. When God showed up, there was thunder and lightning. And, oh, you should have been there that day. You would have seen the whole mountain shake. Have you ever seen people shake in the presence of the Lord? Wait till you see the whole mountain shake in the presence of the Lord. When God shows up in majestic power, God comes. His glory fills the heaven. The earth is full of His praise. His brightness was as a light. The horns coming out of His hand. God just going zap and there's light just going all over the place and the power of God. And then He says at the end of verse 4, and that's the hiding of His power. Well, if that's God hiding His power, would you please tell me what it like when He reveals it? We are talking about one awesome God. We're talking about a powerful God. We're talking about a God where Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, he might think he's great stuff, but God says you're just chaff, I'm blowing you, and you're gone. We're talking about one awesome God here. And this is the God to whom we pray. And this is the God who's put the burden in our hearts to pray for revival. And this is the God who's going to answer our prayer. But he's not going to answer from my perspective. He's going to answer on a far bigger perspective than I've got. Because his vision is a lot bigger than mine. This is our God. And so when we see people we're praying for not coming to the Lord and not repenting, hallelujah, anyhow, God's bigger than them. And he's doing something in their hearts. He's doing something in our hearts. He's a big God. But that's the hiding of his power. My goodness. 
He talks about this power at Sinai. This song, he talks about the past judgment on the ten plagues on Egypt. You find them in this song. He talks about the flood of Noah in this song. He talks about the sun and the moon standing still. You remember that story of Joshua? You remember that? That they ran out of daylight to fight the enemy. So God says, okay. Joshua commanded the sun to stand still. God said, okay. And the whole universe goes on hold. Can you get that? The whole universe goes on pause. Why? To give Joshua a couple more hours. That's the God that we serve. That's the God who's hearing our prayer. That's the God who's going to answer our prayer. That's the God who's given a vision that's going to come to pass at the appointed time. That's the God. Exodus themes all through the song here. And then near the end of the song, he makes this statement. And after I'm finished with the Chaldeans, I'll tell you what, I'll destroy them with their own weapons. Their own pride will do themselves in. And their mighty weapons that they think they have, I'll see to it that they die on their own weapons. That's our God. Well, verse number 16. After the song, Habakkuk says, when I heard this, when God spoke this to me about the Babylonians, it says, it caused me some fear. My belly trembled. I emotionally responded. My lips quiver at the voice. I said, I feel like rottenness is entering my bones. And I'm just trembling. You know? And that I might rest in the day of trouble. That word rest is also the, that I might wait. Wait for the vision. I le- must learn to Wait. In all of this. But verse number 17 is his decision. I know the future is going to have a rough bit to it. But I heard something from God. There's a vision that no man can stop coming to pass. And so here's my decision. Although the fig tree shall not blossom. Boy, when the Babylonians come, it's away with the fig trees. Neither shall fruit be in the vines. And when the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, and the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and when there's no herd in the stalls. It's a bit of a rough time, isn't it? But none of those things can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. None of those things can change the end of the story. None of those things cancel the vision. None of those things triumph over faith. God will make it work. For your good. Come on. God will make it work for your good. Therefore, my choice in verse 18. My choice. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. No longer are we going to complain. Why God's not answering prayer.
No longer are we going to whine that something's not happening on our timetable. No longer are we going to say, God, where are you? Faith knows where God is. We're going to make the choice to rejoice. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet, skipping and dancing all over those mountaintops. He will make me to walk upon my high places. And there's a little note at the end that says, To the chief singer upon my string instruments. What that means is this. Put this to some wild music. And play it. And create a bit of a party atmosphere. And get it into the psyche and the memory banks of my people. So this tune is going to get in them. And they're going to find themselves waking up singing this tune. Ever wake up singing tunes? You're going to wake up singing this tune. And they're going to play this song. And you're going to remember how God came and 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 God came. Remember who this God that we're praying to is. And you're going to see the end of the story. And you're going to take joy in the Lord. And you're going to celebrate victory in the face of the present hardships. In the face of no answered prayer, so it seems. You're going to make the decision to shiggy and off. So put it in the music so that they remember to shiggy it off in the Lord. Hallelujah. Church, it's time to change our tone to wild, exuberant worship.